Leaning Toward Wisdom, Thursday, December the 15th, 2022. Subject to change. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Winston Churchill said a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. I must not be a fanatic. Hey, I'm glad you clicked play. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. George Bernard Shaw. Let's talk about subject to change. I grew up mostly thinking that change meant the potential for improvement and growth. Yeah, of course, sometimes I was disappointed, but not always. Turns out life sometimes disappoints us, but not always. So I don't suppose change is that unique. I'm not sure how old I was when I realized that not everybody looks at change the way I do. Some people, you know, they just take a stand against change, declaring how much they hate it. And, and it genuinely does provide some anxiety and angst for some people because they do absolutely abhor it. They much prefer the sameness and the predictability of life. I guess for them, there's some comfort in knowing that nothing has changed. And then some people love change because they're quickly bored with sameness and some prefer spontaneity and They like things to be more unpredictable and they rather enjoy a curveball coming their way every now and again. Uh, I don't feel like I really fit in either category because there, I, there are just so many shades of gray between those two extremes. For starters, I, I kind of object to change for the sake of change. I know some people who just, they just want to change to change well okay i kind of sort of get it when it comes to moving furniture around maybe you know reconfiguring the house and things because you just kind of get tired and bored and it's not like the old thing is bad but and it's not necessarily like the new thing is going to be that much better but it's going to be different i do understand that I'm just a person who kind of prefers to have a reason behind the change that I want to make. And sometimes the reason is I'm just, I'm bored. I, that's a perfectly valid reason. I would like for the change to at least have a good shot at being an improvement. And it could be argued that, okay, well, I'm, I'm bored with the way the furniture is. And so I'd like to move it around. Okay. Well then that overcomes the boredom. So I think that's an improvement. I'm more interested in making things better not just making them different. And in that regard, everything is subject to change. I guess even if it's only my ability to understand it more clearly. 
It doesn't mean that there are things like absolute facts or truth that change, but my view of those things can certainly change. And frankly, it should change over time because sometimes I don't have it quite right. Some facts, sometimes I have it wrong completely. It's not the facts. It's not the truth that needs to change. It's me that needs to change. Now, hello, Bill. Now we have a problem. Because I started pondering how culture increasingly seems fixated on we need to change everything around us instead of changing ourselves. You know, when we don't like something, we don't agree with something, it's less about us changing our viewpoint or increasing our understanding. Instead, it seems to be increasingly more and more about, well, we, we need to impose, we need to alter the externals to match what we see, what we think, what we feel, what we believe. Victor Frankl wrote, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. But it seems to me that modern culture, we are very intent on doing our dead level best to change a situation so that we don't have to change ourselves. And that's the problem. The problem is that sometimes the situation is not the problem. The problem is that sometimes we, we are the problem. You know, for a long time, I've been very interested and I I've shared this with you in the past. I've been very interested in the impact that prescription opioids have on the human brain. Young, old, men, women, it does not seem to matter. I have talked with older people in their 80s who have a family member also in their 80s, and they describe the behavior of their loved one taking prescribed fentanyl or something else. They describe their behavior exactly the same way as those people in their 30s describe this much younger man and i hear it over and over again they're behaving like a teenager with a rebellious streak selfish blaming everybody else it just doesn't seem to matter if they are a young man if they are an old woman the opioid user seems to have little or no awareness it's just not how they see things it is not how they see themselves because of the chemicals in their brain. Rarely have I encountered somebody suffering chronic pain under the care of a pain management doctor who found their way out of the opioid abyss. But every now and again, once in a while, it's a blue moon, I run into them. Their stories are also universal. I can't believe that was me. And they will rehearse the awful things that they did. They'll rehearse the damage that their addiction caused. They will rehearse the guilt that they, well, you can just see it written all over their face. If you're talking to them face to face and they'll remark how unbelievable it is that they could not see themselves as they truly were. It was everybody else. It wasn't them. Culture and society make that same declaration, though, every single day. You know, I grew up as an as a elementary school kid hearing about Johnny and how everybody is out of step except Johnny. I remember in a classroom, it seems that it, the context was the Civil War. I can't be certain. 
it was a long time ago and I'm talking first or second grade and everybody is in line except Johnny, but Johnny's position is, well, everybody else is out of line. He was the only one in line. They were all out of line. You know, truth is Johnny's the problem, not everybody else, but Johnny doesn't see it that way. It's like the emperor with no clothes. Johnny has no clue. I was commenting about this the other day and somebody looked at me like emperor, no clothes. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. The emperor's new clothes is a, a, a children's fable by Hans Christian Anderson. It's, it's remarkable to me that we've got people on the planet that have not been exposed to these kinds of stories that I, I grew up with. Let me recite it for you. Many years ago, there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on being well-dressed. He cared nothing about reviewing his soldiers, going to the theater, or going for a ride in his carriage, except to show off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and instead of saying as one might about any other ruler, the king's in council, here they always said the emperor's in his dressing room. In the great city where he lived, life was always gay. No, it didn't mean that. Every day, many strangers came to town, and among them one day came two swindlers. They let it be known they were weavers, and they said that they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or who was unusually stupid. Well, those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire are unfit for their post. And I could tell the wise men from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of the stuff woven for me right away. He paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing on the looms. All the finest silk and purest old thread, which they demanded, went into their traveling bags while they worked the empty looms far into the night. I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought, but he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that those who weren't unfit for their position would not be able to see the fabric couldn't have been that he doubted himself yet he thought he'd rather send someone else to see how things were going the whole town knew about the cloth's peculiar power and all the impatience to find out how stupid their neighbors were i'll send my honest old minister to the weavers the emperor decided he'll be the best one to tell me how the material looks for he's a sensible man and no one does his duty better so the Honest old minister went to the room where the two swindlers sat working away at their empty looms. Heaven help me, he thought as he opened his eyes. I can't see anything at all, but he did not say so. Both the swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near to approve the excellent pattern, the beautiful colors. They pointed to the empty looms and the poor minister stared hard as he dared. 
He couldn't see anything because, well, there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd never have guessed it. And not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be the minister? It would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. Don't hesitate to tell us what you think of it, said one of the weavers. Oh, it's beautiful. It's enchanting, the old minister peered through his spectacles. Such a pattern. What colors? I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. We're pleased to hear that, the swindler said. They proceeded to name all the colors and explain the intricate pattern. The old minister paid the closest attention so that he could tell it all to the emperor, and so he did. The swindlers at once asked for more money, more silk and gold thread, to get on with the weaving, but it all went into their pockets. Not a thread went into the looms, though they worked at their weaving as hard as ever. The emperor presently sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed and how soon it would be ready. The same thing happened to him that had happened to the minister. He looked at it and he looked at it, but there was nothing to see in the looms. He couldn't see anything. Isn't it a beautiful piece of goods? The swindlers asked him as they displayed their described imaginary pattern. I know I'm not stupid, the man thought, so it must be that I'm unworthy of my good office. That's strange. I mustn't let anyone find out, though. So he praised the material that he did not see. He declared it was delightful with the beautiful colors and the exquisite pattern. To the emperor, he said, it held me spellbound. All the town was talking of this splendid cloth, and the emperor wanted to see it for himself while it was still in the looms. Attended by a band of chosen men, among whom were his two old trusted officials, the ones who had been to the weavers, he set out to see the two swindlers. He found them weaving with might and main, but without a thread in their looms. Magnificent, said the two officials, already duped. Just look, your majesty, what colors, what design. They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the other could see the stuff. What's this, thought the emperor. I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I a fool? Am I unfit to be emperor? What a thing to happen to me of all people. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. It has my highest approval. And he nodded approbation to the empty loom. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. They stared and they stared and they stared and no one no one saw more than another, but they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear the cloth, especially the great procession that he was soon to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed were bandied from mouth to mouth, and everyone did his best to seem well pleased. The emperor gave each of the swindlers a cross to wear in his buttonhole and the title of Sir Weaver. Before the procession, the swindlers sat up all night and burned more than six candles to show how busy they were finishing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take the cloth off the loom. They made cuts in the air with huge scissors. And at last they said, now the emperor's new clothes are ready for him. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest nobleman and the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. They said, these are the trousers. Here's the coat. This is the mantle naming each garment. All of them are light as a spider web. 
one would almost think he had nothing on, but that's what makes them so fine. Exactly all the noblemen agreed, though they could see nothing because there was nothing to see. If your imperial majesty will condescend to take your clothes off, said the swindlers, we will help you on with your new ones here in front of the long mirror. The emperor undressed. The swindlers pretended to put his new clothes on him, one garment after another. They took him around the waist, and they seemed to be fastening something, and that was his train as an emperor turned around and around before the looking glass. How well your majesty's new clothes look. Aren't they becoming? He heard on all sides. That pattern, so perfect, those colors, so suitable. It's magnificent, a magnificent outfit. Then the minister of public processions announced your majesty's canopy is waiting outside well i'm supposed to be ready the emperor said and turned again for one last look in the mirror it is a remarkable fit isn't it he seemed to regard his costume with the greatest interest the noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached for the floor as if they were picking up his mantle then they pretended to lift and hold it high they didn't dare admit they had nothing to hold. So off went the emperor in procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows said, Oh, how fine the emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection and see his long train? Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything, for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. No costume the emperor had worn before was ever such a complete success. But he's got nothing on, said the little child. Did you ever hear such innocent prattle, said his father. And one person whispered to another what the child had said. He hasn't anything on. A child says he hasn't anything on. But he hasn't got anything on, the whole crowd cried out at last. The emperor shivered for he suspected they were right. But he thought this procession has got to go on, so he walked more proudly than ever as his nobleman held high the train that wasn't there at all. And now you have heard The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. I still find it remarkable that many of you have not heard this. But not surprising, I'm old. John F. Kennedy said, change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. The fable by Hans Christian Andersen is about our lack of self-awareness, our self-deception, our pride, our hubris, our arrogance, our selfishness. These are our enemies and they can require the help of others. But only if the others are going to be honest and truthful with us, as evidenced by the emperor who was surrounded by a bunch of yes men. Well, I don't want to look like a fool. I'm just going to go along. Does that not sound like modern culture to you? Well, it should because it is. We have turned ourselves into a pack of ninnies who will walk off a cliff and follow a Pied Piper that is piping some song that seems to be what we want to hear, but is completely inaccurate. 
and untrue because we don't want to change ourselves. There's the rub. Willingness to change ourselves. If you are at the height, maybe you are, if you are at the height of your personal growth, you can just click stop right now. In fact, you shouldn't have even clicked play. No need to listen any further. Instead, what you need to do is you need to go get yourself a microphone. You need to start a podcast to share how you were able to get it done. And you need to absolutely shout from the mountaintops. What a terrific thing you have accomplished so that the rest of us can learn. But now for the rest of us, those mere mortals among us who are still trying to do our best to just figure things out, and those of us who are aspiring to reach new heights of personal achievement, well, let's see if we can't wrestle some things to the ground, choke them out, get them to tap out. I'm betting that we can if we will increase our willingness and our resolve. Growth and improvement don't always mean dramatic alterations. In fact, quite often they're very subtle. You know, kind of like the extension of an imaginary line that is altered by merely a few degrees. The further out we extend that line, the wider the gap in where it ends up versus where it was initially headed. And so too with our lives, when we can alter a decision or an action, sometimes by just a little bit. I'm currently on a trajectory toward this encore phase of life that I've been talking to you about ad nauseum. And I have some very specific outcomes in mind. I'm doing everything in my power to achieve those ideal outcomes. However, I realize that things may not line up to allow me that ideal outcome. Okay. So does this mean that I'm going to stubbornly refuse to change those outcomes? In light of new evidence, in light of new information, in light of new resources, well, I could, I could just kind of draw my line in the sand and say, no, that's not how I'm going to roll though, because that's foolish. I decided a long time ago that my ideal outcomes at this stage of my life, they are very subject to change. I have got, along with my wife, we have got together, we have got this ideal outcome that is supremely ideal. Well, at least we think it is. It's what I would most love to have happen. And it's what we are working together to make happen. But what if over time there's new information? What if over time some situations change that cause me to question what today I may not be questioning. What if I change my mind and I make a different decision? Well, this is the big reason why I fixate on the what's next question. This is why the first step, let's just figure out what is our very next step, just one. And let's take that step and then let's look around and let's figure out, okay, what did we learn by taking that step? Because it seems to me that from there, we can figure out our next step because you know what? It might look different from the second step that we initially planned before we took the first step. Might not, 
but it might. There's a little point in making the decision for our second step when we have not yet made the first. So right now I'm in the throes of the first step. And frankly, until I complete that step, well, I'm going to go ahead and make plans for what I think the second step will be, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that in pencil. I'm not doing that in permanent marker because this first step is so critical. The outcome of the first step is going to alter what the second step ought to be because things are subject to change and the change will translate into what I hope will be increasingly better decisions. And that's kind of the point, right? For us to keep getting better and to keep making better choices for us to take a step that we believe is the right choice, the wise choice, take a look around. Yeah. Okay. So far, so good. And yet you hear people declare, I won't change for anybody, not even for yourself. Not even when there's evidence that, well, as Cheryl Crow sings, a change would do you good. You remember that song? Very early in my career, I discovered a gentleman named Herb Cohen, a master negotiator. Herb wrote a book, You Can Negotiate Anything. I was just a kid when I first read this book. And part of what I learned by reading Herb Cohen's book was to avoid being fooled into a bad deal simply because you had invested so much time in trying to make the deal. Now, this used to be a very common ploy among car dealers. Well, and then the pandemic hit and car dealers all of a sudden now we're just able to get list price for all the cars. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. And so to get shoppers to invest so much time, dealers would, I mean, they would just keep you and they would keep you and they would keep you and they would keep you because the psychology was very simple. As shoppers, we would be thinking, man, alive, we have been here for two hours already. Let's get this deal done. And car dealers knew that they preyed upon that. Well, sometimes we do that to ourselves. Sometimes we sabotage our own lives by our refusal to change something because, well, we've been committed to it for so long. And the more you stop and think about that, the stupider it gets. I, I made a, a meme and you've likely seen this. This wasn't original. I I'd love to declare that it was because I think it's rather brilliant. Don't cling to a mistake just because you spent a lot of time making it. Don't cling to a mistake just because you spent a lot of time making it, but we do, we all do. More time is not always the answer any more than hitting it harder is wise advice. If we're armed with a hammer, I mean, sometimes we're just doing it wrong. Sometimes we're just, we're going about it in a way that's never going to work. Subtle changes might include hitting it in a different spot with the hammer, but a more substantial change might be required where we put that hammer down and we grab a wrench. And some behavior, well, some behavior is just purely wrong. 
it's destructive, it's damaging. And, you know, listen, moderating abuse is not the remedy to stop it. That's the better, that's the better advice. I referred to this. I think it was on the Carol Burnett show. I'll find the video and I'll embed it. it it's brilliant though. Bob Newhart's playing the part of a psychologist and somebody comes in and this woman, she's got all kinds of problems sparked by her behavior. And, you know, she does this and she does that. And she worries about this and, and all his only advice is stop it. <laughs> Vice, immorality, sin, crime, violence, abuse. I mean, the list is long. These are behaviors that just don't work. Even in moderation, cutting back is not the change that's needed. If you are steeped in vice and immorality and sin and crime and violence and abuse, cutting back moderation is not the answer. That's not the change that you need. Elimination, a completely different decision. That's what's needed. Some aspects of life require that if we are going to grow. Now, we are assuming that growth and improvement are the desired outcomes. You and I both know that is not how it is with just everybody. There are people on the planet who engage in chronic bad behavior. They don't seek any improvement. They don't seek any growth. They only seek approval. They just want to be left alone so they can keep behaving badly. Well, that's not how we roll here at leaning toward wisdom. We are leaning toward wisdom, which necessarily means that we are all willing to look into the mirror, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, because we know that's where our most important change is going to happen within ourselves. And so we have talked about changing ourselves. We have talked about our ideal outcomes and how that can change. So before we wrap up, maybe we ought to give some consideration to the things that we feel are not subject to change. Got anything like that in your life? Think about it. What in your life is there that you staunchly refuse to change? Be careful before you answer. Let me start. God, faith, God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change my understanding and my obedience. Well, they're constantly changing though. Now it would be very easy for me to convince myself. Many people do many religious people do convincing themselves that, well, God, they change God to conform to the way that they would like to live. I was watching some TV show, some sitcom. And the person said, you know, well, we have decided that this is not a sin. Well, it was two, it was an unmarried couple and they were having sex. And we've decided that this is not a sin. Oh, well, good for you. There's only one problem with that. You don't get to define sin. God does. But that's really the way that a lot of us live our lives. We change God to conform with how we choose to live. That is an impossible reality tantamount to the emperor's new clothes. We can deceive ourselves. We can convince ourselves that that's right, but doesn't make it so. 
God's not going to change to meet my standards. He's God. No, I better be busy changing to meet his standards. So I'm going to start with God. God's not going to change. My wife isn't going to change. And I don't mean by that, that as a human, she's not going to grow and improve, but I mean, my spouse, my relationship with this woman that I've been married to for this long, that's not going to change. Oh, it's possible. It's possible to change a spouse. Many people do, but for me, that's not possible. Firstly, because of God and faith. Secondly, because I don't have any desire to change who I'm married to. It is a choice. It's a choice that I happily made decades ago, and I'm going to remain true to that. My family isn't going to change, though the relationships do, because, well, we're all growing older, and the circumstances of our lives are changing. You know, kids grow up, they get married, they have kids of their own. The people who once made up my, quote-unquote, immediate family, okay, well, now they have their own. Oh, these humans still matter. I still love them. And I trust they love me, but the relationships have changed into something different. Now I could argue better, but there are people that don't view it that way. I'm especially taken with people who love babies. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved my babies, but I wasn't a real baby guy. I liked them way better as they got older. And I've long declared with my kids, I was able to enjoy them at every phase of life. I rather enjoyed the moment, but looked forward to what was coming and enjoyed that as well. And I'm rather fascinated by people that just, I I just, I want another baby because they just love babies. Well, I'm not wired like that. As the relationships have grown, as people have matured and as life has changed, I, I embrace it. My core values aren't going to change. They could, but I've made up my mind that I'm not going to let them. So I don't have any plans to abandon my faith or God or my wife or my family Now, I can't make that decision for anybody else because maybe like you, I do have family. I do have friends who made different choices. Sometimes decisions to distance from me. Sometimes decisions to live deplorable lives. Sometimes decisions to seek my approval for things that I simply cannot approve of. I can't approve it for them, for myself, or anybody else. This is where things subject to change can get pretty vexing because things that change for the worse and that can happen not because we make the change but because somebody else does and now we are faced with okay what are you going to do what's next toxic and dangerous people don't much like it when we make a choice that disapproves of their decision their change And just because they make it doesn't mean that we have to approve it or go along with it. And so it is, you know, with the son who turns to drugs and alcohol, but is constantly leaning on the family members to get him out of trouble. So it is with the daughter who turns to immorality and lewd behavior, but is constantly leaning on family members with venom about how they have wronged her. 
So it is with a person who turns to selfish behavior, but is constantly leaning on acquaintances and family for favorable considerations, constantly taking advantage of anybody and everybody. Bad behavior knows no bounds. Good behavior has no limits. Humans, we humans, we have this great capacity for greatness, either good or bad, and we get to decide. We get to choose change or not. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Let me encourage you to join our private Facebook group. If you go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com, you can click on the Facebook icon. It'll take you right over there. One or two questions, easy questions to answer, and then we'll let you in. It's a small group. And I really like it like that. But I'm happy to add you. I appreciate you clicking play. It is unbelievable to me that we are winding down another year. You hear older folks say it, and it's so completely true. The older we get, man, the faster and the faster and the faster that father time seemed to move. By the time you're listening to this, if you are listening to it in December of 2022, we're mere weeks away from celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary. Big changes afoot. I keep teasing it. It's not because I'm trying to be a tease, but just trying to figure it out. There's so many things that are subject to change in my life at this stage of life. But as I look back, it's always been that way. Always. I would hope that our capacity for change, which I know is high, I would hope that it is not restricted because we're simply unwilling. We aren't willing to grow. We aren't willing to learn. We aren't willing to improve. We aren't willing to question whether or not we, like the emperor, We have no clothes on. But we think that we are parading down Main Street with fine fanfare, with great pomp and circumstance. Deception is not not a fun, fun thing. And would that we could all battle it harder by leaning toward wisdom. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome. Inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.